Hello and welcome to this episode of The Jewish Views with Phil Dave, John Kay and Diana Toman. Coming up, we will be speaking to the newly elected president of the Board of Deputies, Marie van der Zyl, will tell us her vision for the organisation under her leadership. We will also speak to Councillor Peter Mason, who's the National Secretary to the Jewish Labour Movement, following the resignation of Ken Livingston from the party. And Fires Mughal, the founder of Muslims Against Anti-Semitism and director of Faith Matters, will be telling us precisely why his organisation felt the need to take adverts out in national press denouncing anti-Semitism. But before all of that, with a roundup of the main Jewish news stories from the past week, Here's Vivian Krieger. And we begin with Ken Livingstone's resignation from the Labour Party. Labour MPs have said that it won't solve the anti-Semitism row, warning that it must not prevent further moves to tackle the problem. Mr Livingstone said the allegations of anti-Semitism had become a distraction for the party, while the Labour leader, Jeremy Corbyn, said he was sad to see him go, but that it was the right thing to do. Young Jews in London who recited Kaddish for those protesters who were killed in the violence in Gaza have defended their action, which took place publicly in Parliament Square, despite knowing that most of the dead were Hamas members. One Oxford undergraduate, Nina Morris-Evans, said that as a Jew she could not condone the loss of life and didn't accept Israel's justification for the killings. Some Jewish groups in the UK also criticised what happened. And a group of Palestinians from Gaza cut through the border fence with Israel and set fire to an empty Israel Defence Forces outpost. The ten Palestinians fled back into Gaza. In response, an IDF tank targeted a Hamas observation post in the southern Gaza Strip, later reporting that there'd been no injuries. The acclaimed controversial American author Philip Roth, who was once married to the English actress Claire Bloom, has died in New York at the age of 85. The world of literature paid its respects to the man who wrote modern classics such as Portnoy's Complaint, Goodbye Columbus and American Pastoral, for which he won the Pulitzer Prize. His impact on American literature began in the 1960s when he lived in London, with admirers saying he delighted in every nuance and absurdity of Jewish life in America. And Chelsea's Jewish billionaire owner Roman Abramovich had to miss seeing his team in the FA Cup final because of delays in renewing his UK visa. Mr Abramovich hasn't been able to enter the country since the end of last month. A spokesman declined to comment and said it was a private matter. Chelsea weren't affected though. They beat Man United 1-0. Thank you, Vivian. Now, let's take a look through the Jewish news for this week. Justin Cohen is the news editor of the Jewish News. What's the main story you're featuring in the paper this week, Justin? We're focusing on the fallout, really, from the Kaddish that was said, and it's been quite well publicised now, for the dead in Gaza. As many people will be aware, a group of mainly young Jews gathered in Parliament Square a few days after the deaths in Gaza last week to mourn the victims. It had already been made public that, well, Hamas had already claimed that 50 of their members were among the 62 who died, but yet this Kaddish actually still went ahead. And as you can imagine, many people in the community have reacted with, well, revulsion, I think is is the right word. But what we're focusing on here is Rabbi Laura Janet Klausner, who of course is the most senior progressive rabbi in the country warning that the reactions that some people have to debate on Israel are self-destructive, that people both from the left and from the right don't seem to be able to have a debate sometimes within the community without resorting to abuse. And she's warning that this is self-destructive, that it's self-harm, that really it's destroying debate within the community. 
She says that the longer we have this situation in Israel and the more divisive people feel it is, the more careful we have to be. Quite strong words here from Rabbi Janet Klausner. I suppose she's really calling for a civilised debate and those people who feel very strongly on either side perhaps are not able to have that civilised debate, which is a great shame. Yeah, I mean, some of the reactions to opinion pieces that have been written by people who took part in that Kaddish, I think it's it's safe to say that, that probably the majority of people in the community feel that what took place in Parliament Square there was really beyond the pale. The truth is, though, that if you look at mainstream politics now, let's just take Israel completely and utterly out of the equation. We seem to live in an age where politics in general is so polarised. So it's not really a major surprise that a subject as sensitive as the conflict in the Middle East is going the same way, even if it's within our own community. Yeah, I think as ever language is, is all important. We, we demand that people who speak about these issues outside of the Jewish community watch their language on these things. And I think it's important that the same is done within the Jewish community. There is a there is the opportunity to have a debate and, and people will feel strongly on, on, on both sides, but without some of the language that we've seen in reaction to, to these opinion pieces this week. But to be able to use it as an excuse to exercise the grieving process that everyone in the community does for loved ones, it almost makes a slight mockery of that. And it's it's very hard to stand by and to watch fellow Jews do that, really. It may well be appropriate for those who want to see a peace agreement between the Palestinians and the Israelis to actually show their sympathy for what happened, whether Kaddish is the most appropriate way, because Kaddish is usually said for Jewish people. One wonders whether there might have been an alternative way to say, look, you know, we want to put out an olive branch and we want to be able to to communicate. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's, it's uh, the words Kaddish when you when you mention that to a, to a Jewish person, it's it's particularly evocative, and, and and everyone that's going through their their lowest moments have been through that. For me. To, to be saying Kaddish and to be taking part in this public memorial in Parliament Square hours after Hamas had said that many of the people involved were its members just seems foolhardy, to, to say the least. Well, reaction, no doubt, will come from that in the weeks to come. Ken Livingstone, the former mayor of London, he's no longer in the Labour Party. That presumably features in the paper very much this week. Absolutely. Not a week has gone by, more or less, it seems, when Labour anti-Semitism and Ken Livingston in particular, someone who symbolised this problem between Labour and the Jewish community, haven't featured in the paper. And, and this potentially is the end of the story when it comes to Livingston and this particular issue. He has fallen on his sword. He's decided that finally he's going to step away and resign as a member of the Labour Party before many people expected him to be pushed out by a disciplinary process that had restarted a year ago and was finally appeared in motion. Many people have reacted to this with, yes, welcoming the fact that he's no longer a member, but more importantly, they have said that really Labour shouldn't have even accepted his resignation, that they shouldn't have allowed him to resign. And really, it's let both him and his leader off the hook. His leader, who, of course, was a, a famous 
ally of his over many years now won't have to go through having to chuck him out the party, which I think was probably inevitable after some recent other disciplinary cases, Mark Wadsworth and others. Ken Livingstone has said that now that frees him up to actually campaign for Labour in a future election. But the Labour Party won't want him to do that, will they? Well, unfortunately, it appears to be that, that he still has some supporters within the party. But I'm sure most people in the higher echelons, perhaps even including Jeremy Corbyn, won't feel that that's uh, particularly appropriate. And we think that's particularly helpful. I think we'll have to see how, how prominent he is. He He was involved in campaigning even during his period of suspension i believe and so we'll we'll see how how active he actually ends up being the royal wedding last weekend draw millions in this country to watch tv on that particular Day on the Saturday, the 19th of May, but also people around the world, America, of course, and elsewhere. How has that been reflected in the Jewish news this week? Uh, we've been delighted to be able to report on the many activities that were taking place across the Jewish community to celebrate the happy occasion and the happy couple under the headline... On Shabbos? Um, <laughs> God forbid, no. There, there were many events that took place within schools in particular. We've got a number of pictures on page 10 of this week's paper under the headline Hip Hip Harry and Meg. Hey, um, let me guess, that was Richard. How did you guess? I just, it was a feeling. <laughs> Even for Republicans, I think that they would actually admit that the wedding itself, the wedding ceremony, the, the whole carriage going through Windsor. I mean, we do that extremely well. And then there was, because it was a sort of 21st century wedding and she's American, there was a completely different approach. There was Bishop Michael Curry, who gave, uh, I think, quite an invigorating sermon. And then there was the Kingdom Choir. It, it was very different, wasn't it? The only thing they needed in there was was a rabbi yes. uh, to, to give a rousing uh, <laughs> sermon at the end. And of course, no, Bishop Curry went on long enough. <laughs> well, Bishop Curry made a reference to Pentecost, which of course was Shavuot. But that's yeah, that, that's that's actually one of the five points that we've highlighted here to draw attention to why the royal wedding was so Jewish. In fact, and what many, well, what many uh, I think listeners may not yet be aware of is the fact that. The twins, the, the the brothers that carried the the, the veil behind the the bride, the train, the, the train were yeah. the Mulroney brothers, who are the sons of Jessica Mulroney, who's me, who's Meghan's best friend, who's Jewish herself. There you oh, go. So Jewish right. twins were actually <laughs> at the forefront of the wedding. Excellent. <laughs> now Ben Helfcott is very well known as a Holocaust survivor, terrific speaker. He's been featured over many years, and he speaks to school children, whole groups of people. He's featured in the paper this week for what reason? He's going to actually be the subject of the latest sculpture by Francis Siegelman, of course, a celebrated sculptor who has recently done the the Queen, Prince Charles, Duke of Edinburgh, and I think most recently. Joan Collins just last week. So he's going to be a subject of a sculpture which is going to be created in public in central London on the 7th of June over a couple of hours. People are able to attend and it's hoped that that sculpture will eventually be turned into bronze and put on display at a prominent museum in London. And what's nice about something like that is that it goes one step further to immortalising and making sure that Holocaust survivors such as Ben Helfgott will live on forever, really. 
Yes, like the sculptures in Liverpool Street Station of the Kindertransport children, yeah. Ben Helfgott is a, an absolute hero of mine, someone who I think can't be uh, memorialised enough. He's been honoured by the Queen with an MBE, he's been part of the Holocaust Commission by David Cameron, and anything that people can do to, to, to honour him, I think, has to be welcomed. Well, that's where we have to leave it for this week. But thank you, Justin, news editor of the paper. Don't forget you can pick up your copy of the Jewish News every Thursday across London or read the e-version at jewishnews.co.uk. You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. Now, members of the Jewish community have welcomed Ken Livingstone's resignation from the Labour Party, with a former London mayor saying his continued membership had become a distraction. In a statement, Mr Livingstone, who was suspended in 2016 for claiming Hitler supported Zionism in the 1930s, said he was leaving with great sadness. Peter Mason is National Secretary of the Jewish Labour Movement. Peter, he said he's leaving with great sadness, but do you welcome him going from the Labour Party? There are many people who I'm certain will have welcomed the departure of Ken Livingston by way of resignation from the party. Um, I think there are probably many more who would have preferred his expulsion. Were those comments anti-Semitic or were they just very offensive to the Jewish community? I, well, I think they were grossly insensitive. They were deliberately calibrated. They were designed to effectively try and make political points out of what was an incredibly difficult period in, in history. Now, you know, is Ken Livingston an anti-Semite at heart? I don't really know. But he's caused great damage to the Jewish community in his 30, 40 years worth of being in public office. And I'm sure we're all glad that that's now finally, hopefully, come to an end. The Labour leader, Jeremy Corbyn, has said Ken Livingstone's resignation is sad. What do you say about that? I think that's a very unfortunate turn of phrase. I'm not sure that there should be that many people sad. The Labour Party is in the business of winning power and it's in the business of trying to form the next government. And um, if anything, over the last two years, we've seen and it's been demonstrated that actually when it comes to the Jewish community and when it comes to Jewish voters, that we're in serious trouble. And the idea that Ken Livingston's departure could represent anything other than you know, a possible upturn in that relationship is, is slightly baffling, if you ask me. Why do you think it's taken so long, though, for him to go? Well, the Labour Party is an interesting beast when it comes to its disciplinary process. It values the kind of the status and the protection of the party more than it represents or, or, or seeks to achieve justice effect effectively for the victim. And the central kind of disciplinary charge is actions that are grossly detrimental to the party. Now, we've seen a, an upturn in disciplinary cases over the last two years, many of them quite litigious, many of them involving very senior counsel, very senior barristers. We saw in Ken's original disciplinary case the involvement of uh, very senior people within the legal profession. Uh, and these things uh, tend to take time and they take to drag on. And rather than decisive action, we're allowing ourselves to get caught up in the processes and the procedures of disciplinary rather than demonstrating strong political leadership from the, from the outset. There are those that say that if offence had been made towards women or Muslims or black people, then something would have been done a lot more quickly. What do you say to that? I, I think it's case in point. 
we've been in a situation now whereby the Labour Party has had a series of allegations around anti-Semitism for ne- nearly three years. Um, in those three years, there have been a high number of very high-profile cases that have taken a long time to, to resolve. Uh, and the processes and the procedures through which the party deal with these cases have been under severe scrutiny. When the party discovered it had a problem with sexual harassment, uh, it set about within uh, within weeks to try and uh, rectify and resolve the situation, uh, including, for example, mandatory training for anybody involved in the process so that they were aware of what sexual harassment constituted, were able to identify it and do something about it. Three years into the Labour Party's anti-Semitism challenges, the Labour Party's NEC and the bodies and the staff members that deal with anti-Semitism disciplinary cases have still yet to undergo the training that has been offered to them by the Jewish Labour Movement. So I think you can read into that whatever you wish. The relationship between Jeremy Corbyn and the Jewish community won't necessarily have been improved by this because he wasn't expelled from the Labour Party in the end. And there are still a number of cases under investigation. So will there be a time when you think perhaps Jeremy Corbyn will get the message? I think there are two things here. Number one is that we give mixed messages. So on the one hand, what the Jewish community has been consistently calling for is strong political and moral leadership on the issue of tackling anti-Semitism within the party and also more broadly on the left. And that anti-Semitism, as we you know, rightly know and we've rightly seen, comes from two primary sources – and even the classic old school anti-Semitism of, uh, seeks to suggest that Jews are somehow disproportionately powerful and like to wield influence. And the contemporary form of anti-Semitism, which is that, you know, that influence and power is done at the best of Israel. Now, those forms of anti-Semitism are kind of rolling around the system and, and nobody's really kind of taken grasp or grip. And you see, for example, in the Labour Party's now kind of indecision as to whether or not it's adopted the IHRA definition and its examples as to you know, what they actually believe and what they're willing to take leadership on. Jeremy Corbyn's got an opportunity to demonstrate very clearly to the people who've kind of been in his camp for a very long time, for whom, unfortunately, there is a disproportionate problem, and say anti-Semitism uniquely, individually, is wrong and needs to be contended with. The damage that the Labour Party could continue to do is to simply say that this is a matter of procedure and policy, and that by kind of trimming around the edges and by improving one bit of the procedure here and there, that somehow this kind of evil could be overcome. It won't. It needs strong political, moral leadership right from the top. How does it make you feel, though, when you know that this debacle is going on within the party that you so clearly and openly support? Yeah, yeah I mean, I feel ashamed. I mean, it's a, it's a Labour Party that I joined when I was 16 years old. I've been a member of it for all my adult life and I've campaigned for it and I've worked for it and I've, uh, I'm an elected representative of it. You know, if you cut me down the middle, my two core identities are Jewish and Labour. And it feels, you know, and, and, and a lot of people inside the Jewish Labour movement and on the Jewish left, you know, are now in, in the middle of what is not just an existential crisis within the party, but an existential crisis within and of themselves. You know, do we feel that we have a place in the modern Labour Party going into the next few years and the next few decades? It's a daily worry and it's a daily concern. But I'd say, you know, the motivation, certainly my own, being involved inside the party, being involved in the disciplinary process as well as JLM, is that it is our party that we are not willing to sacrifice any ground to anti-Semites or to the apologists for anti-Semites, because ultimately we believe it's the vehicle uh, that can achieve social justice in Britain. And that's something that I'm willing to fight for and I hope a lot of other people are willing to fight for too. Do you think that this resignation will tarnish Ken Livingstone's career 
overall. I'm, I'm thinking back a long way now to what he did as Mayor of London. And there were, in fact, several innovative innovations that he brought in right at the beginning, which Londoners actually accepted with open arms. Are those going to be forgotten forevermore? Well, you know, the great shame of Ken Livingstone is that, uh, you know, as a, as a progressive politician who's existed in London and on the left, you know, sure, Ken did some great things. You know, the promise of the 2012 election was such that he was standing on a manifesto which broadly we could agree with, whether it was about you know, building more homes for people to live in, and that's an issue that affects the Jewish community just as much as anybody else, uh, culturally specific services for um, the Jewish community when it comes to things like Jewish care homes and education and provision. You know, those are all good things. I think part of the challenge and, and, and quite frankly, some of the more disgusting things that have been said in the, in the past 24 hours is that, you know, none of those things in any way excuse his behaviour, his belligerent behaviour towards the Jewish community, not just in recent years, not just in the, you know, since his comments uh, on a radio station two years ago, but in a long career of of deliberately calibrated behaviour towards the Jewish community that's just sought to target out for special treatment. You know, whether that's the Feingold affair, whether that was his insensitive comments towards the community in the past, I mean, you know, history is littered, history is quite frankly littered with negative engagements between Ken Livingston and the Jewish community. Peter, thank you very much indeed. Peter Mason, National Secretary of the Jewish Labour Movement, many thanks for joining us on Jewish Views. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you'd like to get in contact about any of the stories you've heard on this show, then we'd love to hear your Jewish views. Email studio at jewishviews.co.uk or Facebook, go to facebook.com forward slash the Jewish Views. On Twitter, we're at Jewish Views UK, or you can go to our website, jewishviews.co.uk. You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. Now, it was a couple of weeks ago that we found out that the next president of the Board of Deputies will be Marie van der Zyl, the second only ever female to have taken the position. I am very excited to say that we can speak to Marie now. She's taken time out of her very, very busy schedule to let us know exactly what her plans are for the future of the organisation. Marie, first and foremost, muzzle off on your victory. Thank you. That's very kind of you. I guess the first question has got to be, how do you feel? I feel quite overwhelmed. I feel honoured. I cannot wait to serve the community and I intend to, to really put every, every aspect of my heart and soul into this board position. Let's just talk a little bit about the the process of becoming the next president of the Board of Deputies, because obviously you are taking over from the very successful and very popular Jonathan Arkush, who announced within the last year that he would not be standing again to be president. Had you decided instantly at that stage that it was something that you would want to try for as as an already successful vice president of the board as it was? No, we had all thought or assumed that Jonathan perhaps would serve for six years. So when Jonathan made it clear that he wasn't going to serve, then we we all needed to step up, which we did. And talk us through the actual process of campaigning to become 
the next president of the Board of Deputies. What was it that you think in your campaign that appealed to the other members of the board? I think I'm I'm very authentic. I think people know where they stood with me. Throughout the hustings, I think people felt that whenever questions were answered, I was very specific. I was clear with my answers. And from a very early stage, I issued a manifesto, a three-year plan, where I really thought about the needs of the, the board and this was this was shared. And I think that people were able to, to buy in with that. So I, I had vision as well as experience and I stood on my record and I think that I had done a very good job as Vice President for Defence and Interfaith Relations and in particular just before the election there was the result of the coroner's claim with Mary Hassel where the cab rank rule was declared unlawful, discriminatory and incapable of rational justification. And that, to me, was very important because on behalf of the entire Jewish community, I felt that I and the board, we successfully orchestrated this campaign where we brought together politicians of all parties, including the Prime Minister and other public figures, where we all worked together for the, for the common good. So I think that bringing people together and working with other communal organisations was a very important part of what I can offer for the board's future. And is that how you, you, you see the board panning out, as it were, under your tenure, is that you are going to try even more to try and build relations amongst other communities? Absolutely. It's very important. We cannot be in isolation. Bringing people together, working with other communal organisations, I think is essential going forwards and supporting other communities we have to learn to work together we cannot work in a bubble and how do you propose achieving this what is it that you would do differently first can i actually establish when do you take the position sorry just so that we are clear on that first of june Okay. So not quite yet. Okay, so it's imminent is the way of putting it. Very, It's very, very imminent. Okay, but how are you planning on achieving interacting with, because it's obviously it's important to stress that you've done this already as a vice president, but as a president, what are you going to do to encourage those relations with other communities? I'm going to be out there in the community. I'm going to visit everyone I can. I'm going to forge for the board every relationship that we that we can do and I think that we've got to lead we've got to lead by example we've got a very very fantastic team the team's going to be announced in the early part of next week so I won't be able to tell you today but we're all working together for the Jewish community and we we've got to be seen and we've got to show leadership that's the one thing that I think stands out for me it's up to the board to show that. Well, the board certainly has a few problems on their hands at the moment in the sense that there are massive stories affecting the community. Obviously, this ongoing business, for want of a better term, with the Labour Party and the allegations of anti-Semitism within it, and not to mention this recent conflict that's happened in Gaza and the reaction that that's garnered. So how do you propose dealing with some of those tougher instances that you will need to be a figurehead for the community for? I don't think that the Labour Party is a situation which is going to be resolved overnight. We've now seen the, we'll say, resignation of Ken Livingstone. We're still waiting to see whether or not Jackie Walker is going to be expelled from the party unless she also is now going to to resign. We have got a lot of work to do. There is another meeting planned with Jeremy Corbyn at the end of July 
And this is going to be something where we're going to have to have action has got to speak louder than words. I want to see that all the rest of the disciplinary cases that have been not dealt with are going to be resolved and for the acceptance of the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism. So this is going to be something that, as I've said, is going to be ongoing and I do not expect a solution overnight. But we have to be there. We may have to ask lots more questions, debates in the House, inquiries, whatever it takes. We need to be there following it up. And you're ready for what challenges that may bring? We are absolutely ready. We are a very good team. We are working for the community and we are ready, willing and ready to go for the next triennium. Now, Marie, it does sound slightly disturbing that in 2018 that I, in my announcement, I said that you are only the second ever female to hold the position of president of the Board of Deputies. Do you think that by you becoming the next president is hopefully a sign that we won't have to soon start saying second ever female president of the Board of Deputies, third ever, if you see what I mean. Do you think that this is obviously a a step for good, hopefully? I'm going to say on behalf of the board that the board had female deputies before women got the vote in 1918. The board does have a good history with women, although I accept not as president. I think it's an excellent sign for going forward. It's the best person for the job. And this time we've got two other female HOs. So I think the board is clearly leading the way in diversity. And that is a very, very good thing for modern modern communal organisations because this is very vibrant and very diverse. And I think that also is a testament to the democracy of the board. Just finally, I know that you're obviously incredibly busy, so we do want to let you go, but we do also (laughs) want to establish as well that as you now begin anew with this president's role, I want to know exactly what your vision is for the future of British Jewry. How do you see the Jewish community panning out and I suppose carrying on making the impact in the way that we do in this great country of ours? Look, we've got to celebrate Jewish life. I want to see the board reach out to unaffiliated Jews and to young people. We've got to celebrate everything that the Jewish community has achieved here, the contribution it's made to society. And we've got to continue, very importantly, enhancing cohesion with other faith communities. We also have to really advance and love our special relationship in my view with Israel because Israel's security and welfare are also at the heart of our constitution and we need to work together as a community and we've got a a lot of challenges but we are also very very lucky to be able to live here in the UK well we need we need to remember that well, I think there are some who are going to say that we are very lucky to have you leading the way. Marie van der Zeel, oh, thank you very, very President-elect much. of the Board of Deputies, thank you so much for speaking to us today. Thank you. If you'd like more information on any of the stories or any of the guests featured in this week's programme, then go to our website, jewishviews.co.uk. You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. And we have for you now the CEO of Faith Matters 
and the founder of Muslims Against Anti-Semitism, Fayez Mughal. Fayez, can we just start with this very timely letter that's appeared in several major, major newspapers a few days ago? Can you tell me what the purpose was behind the publication of this letter? Or advert- I mean, people call it an advertisement, but actually it's a type of letter, isn't it? It is indeed. It is indeed. And the background to this was, I know, there, there were some of us in the community, Muslim communities, who were just sick and tired of issues around anti-Semitism clearly causing extreme anxiety within Jewish communities throughout the country. It's clearly having an impact quite significantly And we were sick and tired of no voice coming from, no coordinated voice coming from within Muslim communities. Now, there are disparate people who do this work. We value them. We honor them. But there is a need for a coordinated voice and a public platform into which we make our position clear. Those who are, I believe, progressive on these issues of standing with other communities and openly standing with them. So I guess it was a time to say... The Jewish communities feel this sense of extreme, sometimes anger and fear because of the issues of anti-Semitism that are in the political sphere as well as in the social sphere. And there are those of us as Muslims who felt we need to stand up and and say that Jewish communities are not alone and do it in a very, very public way. Indeed. And there are about, well, approximately a dozen signatories to this letter. How did you... How did you get everybody together to to promote the letter? We got the signatories actually in a very short period of time. You know, part of the issue was we had to move quickly because of the issues of Gaza and the Middle East. So to some degree, we thought that issue, whether it was the the issues around anti-Semitism, the political sphere, but also the Gaza element added another layer of fear and distress within Jewish communities. So that window of Gaza is what we wanted to move within. And I guess we did this pretty quickly. I did it pretty quickly. We could have had more signatures and it's something that we will continue to do in different guises. But I mean, I just I went to people that I knew who had strong views on tackling anti-Semitism within Muslim communities as well as beyond Muslim communities. Really important I say this because let's not get away from the fact I am a realist. I see and I know Muslim communities I've been working with them for nearly two decades now. You know, there is anti-Semitism clearly outside of Muslim communities and in others, but there is also a problem within sections of Muslim communities. And I know that because for the last six and a half, seven years, since I founded also Taumama and we work very closely with the CST, I've moved on from Taumama. But because we worked with the CST, you know, I had mosques who wouldn't allow me to go in to speak on issues around Islamophobia or anti-Muslim hate. We wouldn't even have, mosques wouldn't invite me in because Islamist websites and Islamist groups were promoting effectively anti-Semitism by using the term Zionist, by saying I was associated with Zionist. It was an easy, glib way for these Islamist websites and groups to smear people. And it was clearly anti-Semitic in its inferences. And so over the last six and a half years, I've just got tired of the fact that this has been carrying on. I've seen its cancer within sections of Muslim communities, clearly not within the majority, but the cancer is deep. The cancer is winning more hearts and minds. And I just had enough of it, frankly. 
And do you feel that this letter will promote further acts of protest, if you like, against the anti-Semitism across all those communities that you mentioned? Well, I hope so. You know, somebody asked me yesterday, why didn't you just put it in the Jewish Chronicle? And I and, and it was a good question. There was a very clear reason for that. We wanted the wider public to also see that they have a role in standing with communities. We wanted to reach out to other Muslims to say, if you feel like we, we feel, step up to the mark as well as to reach, as I said, the wider audience. So if we had just put it into the JC, we would be talking within a contained bubble. This was about really trying to activate others of goodwill, others in Muslim communities, others who are non-Jews, non-Muslims. But has this gone into other Muslim papers as well as the British media? The issue of saying Muslim media is there is no real significant Muslim media traction here. You've got You've got some publications which have minor traction within some sections of East London, and you have some who have traction a little bit in the north of England. And so there is no concerted, structured, organized set of Muslim media sources. That's one. The second thing is, I think, and this is my perception, and I and I think I may be fairly right, if I was to try to approach some of the Muslim media sources, they wouldn't put this in there. And so therein, therein lies the problem. It's uh, I think we've got to challenge it in a wider level before we come down to a more acute funneling of tackling the issue. And so the strategy is there are three million Muslims out there. I'm fed up of approaching the same old gatekeepers because they are gatekeepers. And the issue is if there are three Muslim people out there, it's time we reached out to those people rather than the usual gatekeepers who frankly have their own prejudices and their own stereotypes. In the advert, it says, we Muslims have one word for Jews, shalom. What about individual Muslims or indeed other Muslim organizations? How have they reacted to this advert themselves? So the response from individual Muslims has been has been very, very positive. There are those individuals who clearly are engaged in this work and who responded back extremely well. And there is also a wider pool of young and, I would say, kind of between 30 and 40-year-old members of the Muslim community who have never engaged in this work, who also came back very, very positive and were saying to me, you know, how can they get involved in the work? What can they do with their local Jewish community? They asked me some questions about local engagement they can do. So that's precisely why we put it into a wider set of publications. It was to start to activate a wider set of people, including those sections within Muslim communities who never really engaged with Jewish communities. So that was, it's had its effect. It started a discussion. It certainly has been read by a very large number of people. And if nothing, it's stuck in their heads. And that's precisely what we wanted to do. I'm loath to come across as flippant, but this must have cost quite a lot of money for your either your organisation, the community. It seems like not just a very generous move in the sense of trying to reach out and to proclaim your dissatisfaction with levels of anti-Semitism, but generous in a financial sense as well. It certainly cost quite a bit of resource. Put it all together, you know, there's a lot of work that went behind the scenes. There's a lot of formatting of that ad. You know, it it certainly there is there is cost attached, and we are we I and the organisation basically put our money where our mouth is. But there is a time where you just have to say enough's enough, and we felt that. And so yes, there was cost. 
yes, it was picked up by by myself and the organization Faith Matters. And it's in the end, in the end, if people can do that and have the ability to do that, I think people need to do that in the current environment. Fires, I hate to rain on your parade, but have you had any adverse reactions at all? Not that I have seen, but I know, I know, given what I have seen over the last five, six years, there will be groups who will be WhatsApping each other off the electronic digital Internet, who will be saying things that are clearly anti-Semitic on the back of this article. So let me explain. I have seen campaigns when we have reached out to members of the Jewish community and when we've worked with the Community Security Trust and the Board of Deputies. I have seen messages circulated en masse going to members section members of Muslim communities in various geographical areas using the term Zionist. So I bet your bottom dollar this would have been done off the radar uh, where it's being circulated using WhatsApp and mobile phones. So whilst we can't see it, I can guarantee you it's out there. Are you planning to do any more? Well, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And we won't stop those people who believe in a brighter and better future to stand up and be counted. Why now? Why now? Well, I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years. People say to me, why are you doing this now? Well, actually, over the last five, six years, social media has significantly, utterly changed the landscape of where we are. People increasingly believing in made up fake news. People are increasingly getting their lines blurred around hatred, racism and intolerance. And there are those people who are intolerant and who are racist and who are anti-Semitic who think they have license because of social media and the websites they read to actually bring these views into society and try to normalize them. We have seen such a significant mental and psychological change globally because of the Internet and social media in particular these views will become normalized. And if they become normalized, it's going to take decades to to remove them from parts of, and segments of society. Can I just say thank you for talking to us? That was Fayez Mughal, CEO of Faith Matters and founder of Muslims Against Antisemitism. Thank you again. You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. Well, now it's time for our rabbinic thought for the week. And this time it comes from Rabbi Michael Evan David from Edgware Mazorti Synagogue. In Parashat Nassau, we find the most famous blessing in Judaism, the priestly blessing or Birkat Kohanim. This is the oldest Torah text found by archaeologists in Israel, engraved in ancient Hebrew letters on silver, 2,700 years ago. We still listen to the words of this blessing from the mouths of the Kohanim every holiday during Musaf. Parents say it to their children on Shabbat. It is the blessing per excellence, but what does it say? Birkat Kohanim includes three sentences, each one with a blessing from God and a short prayer to limit that blessing. There is no blessing that cannot transform into a curse if we are not careful with its limits. In the first sentence, the Kohen says, May God bless you and keep you. The Midrash understands this sentence as related to financial success. May God give you good sustenance, parnasa, 
and a nice account in the bank. However, a blessing for money is not complete without a prayer for protection against the dangers of financial success. So we ask from God to keep us from those dangers. The second sentence says, May God light his face towards you and give you grace. The light of God is understood as related to wisdom and knowledge of the Torah. This can lead to arrogance and loneliness. Therefore, the prayer is for grace, that even if you are a wise scholar, may you still be able to find grace on people and they on you. The third sentence finishes, May God lift up his face toward you and give you peace. The blessing expresses the hope that we can always feel the presence of the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, because we often believe that His face is hidden from us. But we know that a powerful spiritual experience can be dangerous, and many people did and do terrible things in the name of God. Therefore, the text finishes with a prayer for peace, for serenity, that the spiritual experiences bring only good to our lives and help us bring peace to ourselves and the whole world. Blessings limits prayer. Much of Judaism is made of these three things. Our rabbinic thought for the week from Rabbi Michael Evan David from Edgware Mazorti Synagogue. And that's it for this edition of The Jewish Views. Thank you to our guests, Marie van der Zyl, President of the Board of Deputies of British Jews, Councillor Peter Mason, the Secretary of the Jewish Labour Movement, and also Fayaz Mughal from Faith Matters. Thank you to our producer, Sue Greenberg, and indeed to you at home for listening. You can always listen to this episode or any previous episode of The Jewish Views by visiting our website, jewishviews.co.uk. Please remember to subscribe to us in your podcast application. The Jewish Views is brought to you in association with The Jewish News. From me, John Kay. And me, Diana Toman. And me, Phil Dave. Do join us next time here on The Jewish Views. Bye-bye. Goodbye.